how does this fulfill our mission? How does this go back to the sea, the commission that we have? Uh, because ultimately, in fulfilling our mission, we're bringing value to Christ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Law and Church, a podcast for church leaders. My name is Brian Fitton. I'm here with Josh Bryant, managing attorney at Church General Council and an ordained pastor. Hey, Josh, welcome back. Uh, we have a great episode planned today, but uh, how's it going? Man, it's going all right. Yeah. You sound a little under the weather. I, I Just a little bit. Just a li- I think, well, for those of that don't know, I have three preschoolers. So we just, somebody stays sick in our house all the time. Well, so. and when you crammed into a studio with various <laughs> yeah. people recording podcasts who are all sick as well, it probably doesn't help. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of bounces back and forth. We were just talking about, I was like, we need to make sure to disinfect the microphones <laughs> after each episode so that way there's no spread of, of anything. Hand, hand out the mask. If people walk in here, put your mask on. <laughs> Then you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> exactly. Well, and of course, it's the holiday season right now, right? Christmas is just around the corner. Um, very excited for that. And, you know, in our last episode, we talked about goal setting, basically what the church needs to do for 2020, making sure it's more secure. And uh, that was such a great episode. If you haven't already checked that out, make sure you definitely go back and, and listen to that episode. But yeah. um, today we're going to be diving into ethics, right? And what that looks like in the church. But kind of kind of set us up there, Josh, a little bit. Churches don't have ethical issues they have to no, consider. No, 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 not at all, not at all. No, we're obviously being facetious. Yeah, definitely <laughs> uh, all sorts of ethical things that churches need to consider. And it's one of those things, and we kind of talked about this last week, that it, when we talk about ethics, when you go to seminary or Bible college, uh, a lot of times in the field we've lost sight of the forest for the trees. We focus on individual personal, ethical, and moral decisions, we fail to realize that the church itself has an ethical obligation and is a moral actor. And so we talked a little bit, just real briefly, on five different um, kind of frameworks and and ways that we can look at um, organizational decision-making as a church, Uh, but we're going to go into a little bit more depth today. All right, Josh, I'm excited to jump into this. So issue number one is commission. Yeah, and so we can really remember these five things with the acronym CIVIC. Uh, C-I-V-I-C. And so the first one is commission. Uh, And, you know, we talked about this last week, talked about this agency theory or this agency framework of making decisions. And in the business world, and really in any kind of organization, we start these businesses with a purpose. That when when we set up a business or when we start a church or any other kind of organization or club or group or homeowners association, whatever, we do those things with a purpose. The organization has a purpose. It has a mission or a goal. Uh, and so under this theory, whatever advances that mission, whatever helps the organization fulfill that mission, is the ethical decision to make. And obviously anything that detracts from that mission is not an ethical decision. So if your purpose or your mission is to sell uh, product at the lowest possible cost and you um, don't negotiate a low cost from your suppliers or you don't go and and sell the product at a low cost, then you're detracting from your mission and that's not an ethical thing for your organization to do. Now, it's, it's really easy to get kind of relative here and say, well, your mission is different than this mission is different than that mission, so all our ethics are kind of a little bit different. Well, not in the church. In the church, we've all been given one mission, and that mission is to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded them. And based on that, Jesus said, 
listen, I'll be with you to the end of the age. Um, and so we really have to make sure that we keep our eye on that ball and that the decisions that we make are based on what advances that mission. Uh, we, we've got to get to a point where that's kind of the the underlying frame in which we view every decision is, okay, whatever decision I make has to fit within that box of making disciples. Uh, and if it doesn't make disciples, if it doesn't help us make disciples, or if it detracts from us making disciples, that's not the decision we're going to make. That doesn't even make the cut in terms of what we consider. So, um, you know, a lot of people would say that's the most important one. I think it is the most important one for churches because that's what we, that's why we exist. We mm-hmm. exist to make disciples. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to just stop there. Uh, we've got to look at this from other angles as well. Uh, and so, you know, when you're talking about an ethical decision, uh, maybe the decision is, uh, what do we do about uh, the staff member who? Um, got drunk and there were pictures on Facebook. What do we do about that? Well, we can tell them to just take it down. We can kind of blow it off. What helps us make disciples? Mm-hmm. All right. And really it can kind of depend on a whole lot of different variables. Okay. Maybe that staff member is very, very repentant. Uh, that can be an opportunity to make disciples. Listen, we're not perfect. Yeah. Uh, we make mistakes and I'm going to confess that and I'm going to seek forgiveness. I'm going to repent. Um, and I'm going to call other people to do the same thing. Jesus saved me from the consequence of that mm-hmm. sin, or the ultimate consequence at least, and that being death. Uh, so that can be an opportunity to make disciples in restoring that that staff member. Uh, the staff member could also be very unrepentant and get into a whole bunch of biblical arguments about, oh, it's okay to drink and, and whatnot, and really kind of hedge and, and get defensive. Well, restoring that person or keeping that person on staff or whatever the case may be may not be the most ethical decision because it may not make disciples. It may actually make the church... Uh, less effective in making disciples. Uh, you can lose members. You can mm-hmm. lose guests. You can become uh, less attractive to the outside world. Uh, and so, yeah, there are some uh, ways in which when you're making these decisions, there are situational variables which change the outcome. But ultimately, the question is, remains the same. What helps us make disciples? Um, and that's going to be the ethical decision to make as an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even with that, it helps to make it easier. And I'm not saying that all decisions, especially around ethics, are, are easy. But it definitely helps kind of give us, gives us those guidelines, right? And we can stay within that box and really take a look at that um, from a different point of view and, and not have to worry uh, so much about um, going one way or the other. And so I think that's, that's actually really good. So the second issue we're going to talk about is integrity, and I feel like that's kind of a buzzword right now, uh, you know, in our society, and especially in a corporate world, or you know, when you're when you're setting up uh, really core values within a business or whatever it is. And so, uh, integrity is is just something that everybody strives for. But let's talk about that in an ethical sense within the church. Well, I don't personally know of any churches that don't always tell the truth and aren't completely in a hundred percent transparent. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Again, we're being uh, a little bit facetious there, but uh, you know, ultimately, yes, we expect organizations to act with integrity. When you go to the store, you expect that they are not going to sell you a lemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you expect them to act with integrity, and as a lawyer. Certainly nobody ever expects a lawyer to act without integrity, but listen, the legal profession is a business. Of course, lawyers always act without uh, integrity. At least a lot of lawyers do. Uh, So goes the joke. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, I mean, at the end of the day, we expect businesses and organizations to treat us with a degree of integrity and and a degree of honor. Uh, And the same thing applies um, here, uh, is that we want uh, 
churches. We want uh, ministries and other organizations to be honest. Uh, and when we talk about integrity, though, it's not just about um, being uh, honest and telling the truth. When we talk about integrity, we're also talking about uh, making sure that that the structure that the stability of who we are stays consistent. And one of the ways that that, that kind of starts to diminish is when we don't do what we say we're going to do, um, mm. that we become less trustworthy. Yeah. So, for example, if we say that, um, you know, we're going to, um, I don't know, offer the Lord's Supper and we as a church stop doing that, uh, obviously there's some theological problems when we yeah, start doing yeah. that, but... Uh, we're not keeping a commitment. Okay, mm-hmm. and that's kind of an implicit commitment. We don't have, have a contract that we've signed. But at the end of the day, that's something that we have agreed that we're going to do. Uh, when we say we're going to provide Sunday school literature or a curriculum for our small groups, and we don't do that, now we have a lack of integrity. Listen, one of the, the key issues right now um, that, that is really kind of very quietly being um, discussed in public circles, uh, and the church has kind of been part of the conversation, but has mainly just been griping about the conversation, is this whole idea of the church having a charitable tax status. The church doesn't pay taxes. Well, why not? Why, why would the government say, we're going to tax a business, but we're not going to tax a church, even though as a church you may be bringing down more money every year than a business? Why, why won't, wouldn't we tax the church? Well, the answer is because with any charitable organization, including the church, it's expected that that organization is going to take those tax resources that the government would use to uh, provide some sort of a service mm-hmm. and that that charitable organization is going to do it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the charitable organization is going to provide an education. The charitable organization is going to uh, do research or the charitable organization is going to provide a religious service and a benevolence. And so, uh, you know, there are people who are saying, well, churches need to be paying taxes, uh, and as a church, we're just saying, oh, no, we don't. We need to keep our, our tax status. Well, listen, we've got an agreement implicitly mm-hmm. with the government that we are going to take on some of those services that the government would otherwise fulfill. And you know what? The Bible tells us to. Yes, exactly. All right? Yep. Uh, you know, you have done this to the least of these, have also done it to me, Jesus said mm-hmm. in, in Matthew 25. And so we've got to be feeding people. Mm-hmm. We've yeah. got to be caring for the sick and 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 caring for the needy. Um, th- these are things that Jesus told us to do, but it's also things that we've agreed with the government that we're going to do. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and we may not be able to say, "Well, my church bylaws don't say that." I haven't said that to the government. You kind of have. If you're not paying taxes as an organization, yeah. then it's expected that the money that you, at least the money that you would have paid in taxes otherwise. Mm-hmm is going to be used to fulfill some service that the government would otherwise provide. Yeah. And so whether you're doing disaster relief or you're providing a, a food pantry or a medical clinic or something so that the government doesn't have to spend that money, then you're keeping that agreement. Mm-hmm. But if you're not doing those things, and a lot of churches have kind of sloughed off on that, um, then then we're not yeah. uh, fulfilling those agreements. And, and so it's ethical for a church. It's not only biblically commanded it's an ethical obligation that we have contractually with our governments to provide some of these services 
Uh, and there's all sorts of other agreements. We talk about keeping the electric bill on. We talk about uh, you know paying our, our bills. We talk about uh, taking care of our employees and making sure that they are um, they're given what they um, have agreed to receive in exchange for the services they provide for the church. Um, y- you know, we may have agreements with our neighbors, uh, really implicit agreements. Mm-hmm. It's kind of expected that we're not going to dump our trash over the neighbor's fence, yeah, right? Yeah. We've got an obligation to do that. And when we are not good neighbors, we're kind of breaching an, an implied agreement that we've got. And so all of these things we just have to take a look at and say, okay, in making a decision – are there agreements that I could be breaching by making that decision? Mm-hmm. Or are there agreements that I've made that says in order to fulfill those, this is a decision that I have to make? Can we eliminate some decisions because they would breach an implied contract or an yeah. implied agreement that we've made? And so that is a matter of integrity, uh, is doing what we say we're going to do, doing what we have agreed to, whether it imp- implicitly or explicitly. We've got to do what we say we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I, I absolutely agree, Josh. And it kind of even going back to that that tax exempt status, um, you know, you know, God forbid that that it you know something changes in our government to where churches don't receive that that benefit. Um, even at that point, I think the integrity piece of the Bible's already called us to do these services to make sure that that I mean the, the original church was that it didn't they didn't rely on the government back then, and so it was up to the church to make sure that they were taking care of of the hurting and the loss and the broken. And so um, it is one of those things that if if something did change, right, that still does not negate our obligation. To, to make sure that we are providing those services. Yeah. And so I think I think that's great. That's a great point. So, all right. So kind of moving into our third uh, piece of this. So the V in civic and our, and our acronym status here is stands for value. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And so, you know, this is kind of the, the classical model that we talked about last week. When we look at a business uh, and, and we say, okay, what's the ethical decision for a business? The classic argument, this is the Milton Friedman kind of, um, free market economy um, idea of ethics is say, listen, whatever brings the most value to the owners of the business, whatever brings the most value to the stockholder, that's the ethical decision. Now, if we leave it there from a business standpoint, we've seen where that cre- creates oh, problems. Yeah. Yeah, okay, you've got your Enrons and people cook. Hey, this brings more value to the shareholder for us to cook the books, so we're going to cook the books. Mm-hmm. No, we, we, we can't do that. And it's kind of hard to see just at first glance how this applies to the church because the church doesn't have an owner who owns the church. I mean, we got trustees who legally technically own the church, or you may have an organization uh, that owns the church, but ultimately the owner of the church is, is God. God created the church. Jesus created the church. Um, matter of fact, Jesus told Peter, upon this rock, upon this confession, I'm going to build my church. Okay, And so the, the, God was going to build an organization uh, on this confession that Jesus was the Christ. Uh, and so ultimately what this boils down to is we have to make decisions that bring the most value to our leader. All right. You see it in Colossians one, where it talks about Jesus is uh, the head of the church. You see it in First uh, Peter five, I believe it is, where it's talking about uh, how um, you know Jesus is the over shepherd, and we've got pastors and uh, elders and bishops, or you know the episcopos. Those are all um, kind of under shepherds, uh, is what uh, is, is the term that Peter used there. Uh, and so you see this hierarchy where Jesus is the head of the church. Uh, Jesus is in charge. So now we can kind of start to see how these interact 
uh, with one another. These different frameworks start to interact with one another. When we talk about bringing the most value to Christ, we're also in a situation where we can say, um, how does this fulfill our mission? How does this go back to the sea, the commission that we have? Uh, because ultimately, in fulfilling our mission, we're bringing value to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they kind of start to play off of one another a little bit. Um, but ultimately, that's what we want to do. We want to bring the most value possible to God, uh, and that's what uh, this one is all about. And so when analyzing a decision, it's it's almost the, the, the old bracelet, the WWJD. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I was know. a 90s kid. Hey, yeah, you know. <laughs> You know, it's unfortunate. Um, I was a little bit pious as a, uh, maybe overly pious as a high schooler. And so uh, the the joke around school was WWJD stands for what would Josh do? And yeah. I hated that. I hated it. <laughs> hate it to this day. Awesome. I'm going to get a bracelet just for that. What, what, and then that would remind you. So every time we see each other, what, what would Josh what, do? What would Josh do? No, no, you're, you're. These folks put me on way too high a pedestal. Uh, I'm afraid I let them down grossly. But in any case, what brings the most value to Christ? Uh, yeah. What 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 would Jesus do? Because Jesus was all about bringing glory to God the Father. Yeah. And so yeah. we're kind of in the same boat. What is going to bring the most glory, the most value to Christ? And it's a matter of worship. Uh, you know, when we look at the the etymology or the background of the word worship, it's it's from an old English word that's basically worthship. Um, and, and so when we talk about worshiping somebody, what is that person worth? Or when we talk about worshiping Jesus, what is it worth? Well, listen, Jesus died for the church. Um, without Christ, we'd be on our way to eternal punishment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what is that worth? Uh, that's worth everything. Yeah, and so yeah. we're looking at an ethical decision. A lot of times we'll say, my goodness, that's going to bring the most value to Christ, but that's also going to cost me the most. Guess what? That's the ethical decision. Mm-hmm. What brings the most value? Because what he's done for us is infinitely worth whatever price we pay. Absolutely. Uh, so what brings the most value to God? That's what that's all about. Absolutely. So we've gone through uh, commission, integrity, and then value. So our fourth statement would be impact. So how is impact an ethical issue? Yeah, and so this is uh, that stakeholder theory. Uh, and it kind of relates back to uh, at least on the business side of things, this classical theory where we're talking about uh, you know, what brings the most value to the owners uh, because the owner is a key stakeholder. But we also need to look and see that in any organization, there are multiple stakeholders. There are the members of the organization. Certainly there's the owner of the organization, which is, uh, like we said in our case, uh, in our context, Christ. Uh, you know, but you look and see who all is impacted by the actions of the organization. And you see your community, you see guests, you see your employees, you see your vendors who are providing services to the church, like uh, your electricians and uh, the folks who haul off the church's garbage and the church who uh, the, the folks who uh, you know you contract with to come in and clean the church if you don't have a custodian. And so all of these different people are stakeholders. And when we're making a decision as a church, we need to take a step back and say, okay, who is going to be impacted by this decision? Mm-hmm. You know, if if we've looked at it in terms of what brings the most value to Christ, okay, what helps us complete our mission the most, okay, what makes sure we fulfill all of our obligations, which also ties back into this stakeholder theory, because anybody we have an agreement with is a stakeholder. Um, so now that we've looked at all that, okay, if this is the decision I'm going to make, who does it impact? We need to talk to those people. If we're going to make a decision that impacts somebody else, um, you know, there are different levels of impact. 
but if we're going to impact somebody else, we need to talk to them about that yeah, uh, and, and bring them into the conversation about the decision that we need to make. And so, you know, the first step is to consider who those people are and think about, okay, who as a class of people or as an individual could be impacted by this decision. We need to consult them. We need to hear them before reaching any judgments or making any conclusions as to what we want to do. And we need to act in a manner that benefits them. All right. Now, some people would stop and say, no, 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 no. You just have to hear them. You have to consider their opinion. But you've got to make a decision based on uh, you know, other ethical obligations mm-hmm. or, or what's in the best interest of the church or best interest of you personally. And there are circumstances in which I could say, yeah, that's true. Okay, Obviously, um, if a decision benefits other people but hinders our ability to make disciples – we're going to have to figure out yeah, what we're yeah. going to do here. And obviously our mission, our key purpose is to make disciples. And so sometimes we're going to have to make decisions that don't benefit everybody. And you're never going to make a decision that pleases everybody. Yeah, okay. True, true. But we do need to act in a manner that benefits the people who a decision is going to impact. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Well, because those are the people we minister to. When a church acts, when a church does ministry, it has an impact, or at least it should. And so when we impact somebody else by an action of the church or decision that we make, it is an opportunity for us to minister to them. And when we have an opportunity to minister to that person or to that group of people, it's an opportunity to reach that group of people with the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so now we're again in a situation where we have the ability to do both, to kill Mm -hmm. two birds with one stone. We're going to act for the benefit of the stakeholders of this decision and the people who are impacted by it. But we're also going to, in doing so, act in a manner that allows us to fulfill our mission even better, that we have the ability to make disciples. We don't want to contra- compromise our doctrinal beliefs or anything like that. We don't uh, don't want to compromise clear biblical ethics, but we do want to make sure that we benefit our stakeholders as best we can, and we want to make sure that in doing so, we have the ability to share the gospel with them and, and to continue to expand the kingdom of God. So that's what that particular impact statement is all about. Who does it impact and how uh, can we consider them and act in their best interest? Absolutely. And that kind of rolls into our last uh, issue as well, which is citizenship, right? Yeah. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. So this is probably one of the more controversial ones in the church because, uh, you know, a lot of times when you talk about being a good corporate citizen, um, there are a lot of arguments, especially against an evangelical position based on a citizenship theory. So, for example, because you are a corporate citizen, because you are an organizational citizen, you can't discriminate against XYZ. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, if you're an evangelical congregation that believes uh, that only men can serve in the pastorate, people would use the citizenship theory to say you cannot discriminate against a woman in that context. People are using the citizenship theory to say you cannot discriminate against a same-sex couple or you cannot discriminate against somebody based on their gender identity. Um, And so we've got to be real careful uh, when we talk about our corporate citizenship and our corporate responsibility. And ultimately, though, what this really means is not that we get along with everybody and we're all holding hands singing kumbaya – the idea is is that we cooperate, that we collaborate, that we work together to make our community a better place. All right. Now, there are going to be times where everybody comes to a different opinion on what that means yeah, yeah. and how to best do that, and that's fine. People are going to be entitled to their own opinions and their own judgments. We have to do what Scripture tells us to do first and foremost. We've got to bring value to Christ. We've got to make disciples of the nations, uh, all of those things. 
But at the same time, if we can work together, then it makes the church a little bit more winsome and a little mm-hmm. bit more attractive. You know, when you look at an organization like a business that says, here's how ethically we're going to act, we're not going to, for example, source products from um, sweatshops in Asia where five-year-olds or eight-year-olds are making that product for 25 cents a day. Okay, if an organization said the opposite, how would the world look at that organization? Yeah. All right. They're not going to think very highly of that organization. You're just trying to make a buck, and you're going to act unethically to do so. So we have an opportunity when we cooperate and say, listen, as an organization, ethically, we're not going to do this. We're going to work together to stop that kind of slavery, mm-hmm. for lack of a better term. Um then again, we have an opportunity where we poise the church to look attractive to the world, right? And we don't want to place that above everything else, but we do want to be attractive because if we're not attractive, who's going to listen to us? Yeah, yeah. If we're not attractive, who's going to listen to the gospel? So if we can act in a manner that cooperates with other organizations, cooperates with other people in our community, and collaborates to make our communities and our sphere of influence and sphere of ministry a better place, then we're in a situation where now we have the ability to make disciples. Uh, and I think that's a, a key imp- and important thing. Yeah. And I, I agree with that. And that kind of goes back with the, uh, the impact, the, the last point that we yeah. talked about and, and really just a conversation around, uh, around all these decisions that we're trying to make and, and do ethically. And I think a lot of people can, can really empathize with that, especially as a church leader, you're going to your congregation, you're going to the people who, who are going to be impacted by this decision, um, and making sure that that citizenship, everything is just really in line. Um, I think people understand that and just having those conversations and making sure to, to include the people you need to, um, I think is I think that's a great great point. So, yeah. um, so Josh, tell us a little bit about you. Really, how can the church law group really help churches with these issues? Yeah, so we've got three things, three different resources that you can go out there do and, and and review. First thing, go out there and get the decision guide that we've got. We've got them in the show notes, or you can get them at uh, thechurchlawgroup.com. dot um, That decision guide really takes all five of these things and allows you to analyze it holistically. You know, you can't focus on just one area or one of these frameworks. You kind of got to look at all of them because if you focus on one, you're going to get a real skewed decision. And so this decision guide kind of helps you walk through all of these things. Just a worksheet. When you've got to make a decision as a church, when you're leading your church towards uh, making a decision or, or taking some action, walk through this worksheet and answer some of these questions and, and let it kind of clarify in your mind uh, what the best course of action is going to be and what the most ethical course of action is going to be for your church. And it's also going to be a great way. I mean, you could form a sermon off of it if you really wanted to. It's a great way to to clarify your communication of what the uh, the ethical decision is going to be. Secondly, go sign up for the Church Law and Ethics Acumen Training. It's $9.99 a month, super cheap. You've got unlimited access to multiple videos that we're going to be producing uh, that that deal with ethical issues and legal issues. All of these things are going to help train you and equip you and equip your staff and equip your congregation to be making good decisions. If you're elder-led, it's going to be great for your elders to have. If you're congregational-led, maybe everybody in the church needs access to this. Whatever the case may be, 
there, there are options out there for you to, to kind of scale it. You know, if you want your whole church to have access, $425 for the year, you can have as many users as you want. Uh, and so uh, go out there and take a look at that. It's going to be really, really important. And then lastly, head over to patheos.com. Search out the Citizen Church blog. Uh, I'm a new columnist over at Patheos, and we've got, yeah, uh, yeah. we're going to have all sorts of resources. It's new. Uh, we've got only one post out there, probably two posts by, by the time this actually airs. Um, uh, but go out there and check that out. We're going to have a lot of church law and ethics materials there. That's been another episode of Law and Church, and all the resources we've talked about today will be in the show notes. Uh, you can get those show notes on the Church Law blog at thechurchlawgroup.com or on our podcast website at lawandchurch.com. And of course, the show notes will always be available in your favorite podcasting app. That's right. And go do us a favor. Please go subscribe and review to our podcast. Listen, our heart is for the local church, and there are church leaders who really need to hear this stuff. And your review and subscription of the podcast just makes it that much more likely. And Certainly, we're going to be talking about stuff next week uh, that you're going to want to hear as we go into more detail. So uh, your subscription is also going to help make sure that you have access to that. And so uh, go do that. And then also make sure to go join the Church Law Group on Facebook. Just go to Facebook, search Law and Church, and you will find that group. You can also find the link in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Yep. And we will uh, see you next week.